0: This is wonderful. <laughs> I, I was just thinking, Pastor Tony, you uh, let an old man preach today. <laughs> uh, we, we're so grateful that whatever we have is God's Word, and uh, we want to share it together. I'm going to read our passage that we're going to look at this morning, and it's in Colossians chapter 3. is We always pick it up in Colossians when I preach and (laughs) go on from there. And I'm going to read the first 11 verses of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 beginning at verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory therefore put to death your in your members that which those things which are on the earth fornication uncleanness passion evil desire covetousness which is idolatry because of these things the wrath of god is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. May God bless his word to our hearts. Let's look to the Lord in prayer as we look at his word. God the Spirit, we thank you that you are the great teacher. And we're reminded over and over again in the book of Revelations that it says, He that hath ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I just pray this morning that the Spirit of God may guide us as we study together. Christ promised that when you came, you would glorify him. And Father, I pray that, uh, God the Spirit, I pray that you will glorify Jesus Christ through your word this morning. May he be lifted up, and as we see his majesty and glory, may we see the glory of God in his face. Thank you. For this day, for this word, and I pray that the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts together may be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, and we ask this to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. It always seems best for me that... uh, when I come because there's a few days between uh, that I always take a running start at what we're doing here and I will do that again today. Uh, I do that mostly because it's a blessing to me (laughs) Uh, and uh, it challenges me each time I do it and so uh, and for those who haven't been with uh, us as we did it before I would uh, like to help you To see where we're going and what has been done. I pointed out at the beginning in this chapter there are 15 commands. 15 commands. And these 15 commands demand what? Obedience. Obedience. That's what God's looking for. And I talked about three different kinds of obedience. One I call reluctant obedience that's, boy, I better do this or God's going to let me have it, you know. So I better obey him and do what he says in his word. And that's what I call self-centered, self-concerned obedience. And that's not acceptable to God. And then there's what I call reward obedience. And that's uh, when I get to heaven, I want to make sure I got the best house and the best place and the best accolades and Everything's going to be the best up there. And again, that's not acceptable to God because it's selfish and self-centered. The kind of obedience God is looking for is what I call relational obedience. Relational obedience. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 15, if you love me, by the way, better translation there is, if you keep on loving me, it's a continual attitude of the heart. If you keep on loving me, you will keep my commandments. You notice the relationship brings obedience. And so that's the kind of obedience that God is looking for, relational obedience. Because we love him, we obey. If you go down further in that 14th chapter of John, uh, verses 22 and 23, it says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, "If anyone loves me, and again it's that same phrase, he all keeps on loving me. It's got to be a continuous love, because it's the love of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So it says, if you keep on loving me, the person that keeps on loving me, he will keep my word." And I want you to notice the distinction here. Previously he said you'll keep my commandments. And now he says you will keep my word. That is everything I said. You will follow every little thing I said. And then notice how he builds the relationship concept here. He says and my father will love him you notice the development of that relationship and we will come to him you see obedience makes us aware of the presence of god and because we're obedient we feel and know the presence of god and it says we will make our abode with him so if you want to feel the deep presence of god you got to be obedient otherwise you will say, as the psalmist said, God, why are you so far from me? What has happened? And you see, the closer we get to God, it is related to our obedience, as we walk in obedience to him. And then just over in the 15th chapter, we see the same thing. He says, if you keep, this is John 15.10 John 15.10 He says if you keep and again better translation is if you keep on keeping if you keep on keeping you see it's, it's an ongoing process Jesus uh, the scriptures I should say and Paul says he that endures unto the end shall be saved. So we got to keep on keeping on. You see my commandments you will abide in my love. In other words, you see that relationship development? If, if you're obedient, then you will live in the love of Christ. That's how it happens. You have to be obedient to live in the love of Christ. And then he says, and, and this, is, this is striking. He says, you will abide my love in the same manner as I have kept my father's commandments now it's very interesting because in the original it has the idea of I kept the, the commandments that were mine that were of my father that were his which he gave to me and I, I was thinking about that the other day and I thought God has given us all these commandments and they're given to us personally just like christ had his commandments personally given to him by the father and they come to us by the father from the father they're the father's word to us and so that's important and uh and he goes on and says that he carries on a relationship with his father He says, just as I have kept my commandments and my father's commandments and abide in God's love. So we abide in Christ's love as we keep those commandments. And that's vitally important. And so uh, when we think of these commandments, then the key word is. One person listened. (laughs) Okay. uh, uh, We we have to be obedient. Obedient is vital and important in our life. Then we started looking at the commandments. The first commandment we find in verse 1. It says uh, there, If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. I call this find fellowship with Christ. Find fellowship with Christ. Notice it says, if you have been raised with Christ. In, in the original, that, that, that statement, that conditional clause, has the idea of a positive response. If you have been raised with Christ, which you have. See, that's the only way we can keep on seeking you see, you have to be living in the resurrection life of Christ to keep on. So he says, uh, keep sinking, seeking the place above. That's the command. We must keep sinking, seeking. I'm doing dishes already. I'm in the sink. Uh, 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 seeking the place above. And then notice why he wants us to seek the place above. It says where Christ is, or better, where Christ exists. We have to seek Christ. That's the whole issue of our Christian life. We have to keep seeking Jesus Christ. We have to keep looking for him. And then it says uh, here, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God the verb there is very interesting in the original it can be translated where Christ has been seated that is God seated him and the reason that translation is really important is when Christ returned to heaven he didn't come back and say well here I am give me my chair back you know uh really what He came back as the God-Man. You see, he didn't come back like he was. If you read through the whole book of Revelation, you see the Lamb slain sitting upon the throne. So he came back as the God-Man. And so God seated him at his right hand as the God-Man. But, The verb also indicates that it could be something that Christ accepted himself. In other words, he accepted the position as the God-man sitting at the right hand of God. And when you stop and think of it, what did he do? He was sitting at the right hand of God to represent us as prophet, priest, and king. He was our prophet, priest, and he king. Why was he the prophet? Because he revealed to us the things of God. He showed us the things of God. And the only way you and I can know the things of God is through Jesus Christ. So he is the prophet. Just read those verses in Hebrews uh, chapter 1. God who... At sundry times and in different manners spoke unto us by the prophets hath in these days spoken to us how by his son see there was divine revelation of a divine God by the son and uh, he accepted that seat as our prophet he also accepted that seat as our priest he is, according to the book of Hebrews, he is now our great high priest seated at the right hand of God. So as our priest, he presented the sacrifice to God and the sacrifice he presented to God was himself. And that's the sacrifice that God accepted so that he could be seated or as it says in the book of Philippians, exalted. He was exalted as the God man for the completion of his task. And so he was sitting there as prophet, priest, and king. And king. And let me remind you, there's a twofold aspect of his kingship. He is king of the church. If you look at Colossians chapter one and verse thirteen, it says that uh, 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 God took us out from under the authority of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son so we're in a kingdom and who's the king of the kingdom the son the son he's the king of the kingdom so He's the king of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the ruler of the body. He's the brains that operates the church. Excuse the expression. But that's really true. Every every bit of knowledge comes through him. So he's a king. But he is also seated as king of kings and lord of lords. And some people say, Ooh, now just a minute. There's a problem with that. Look at the mess this world's in. Look at the situation we find ourselves in. How can he really be king of kings and lord of lords? It's interesting if you turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 8. And he he begins with a quote from the Old Testament. He says, You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Then it goes on and says, For subjecting all things to him, he left nothing. Did you get that word? Nothing that is not subject to him. Everything today is subject to the kingship of Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is still and always will be King of kings and Lord of lords. And he says, but now, and uh, this is a very interesting, the word but can be translated uh, there to the contrary, and the word now is what is known as an emphatic pronoun. But right now, it says, but right now, We do not yet see things subjected to him. We don't see it yet. We don't see it yet. But if you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 25 through 28. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 through 28. Pastor Tony in a little while is going to give us a good exposition of this. But uh, these, these verses, it says... In, in verse 25, it says, For he must reign. Uh, actually, you can translate It is necessary for him to continue ruling or being king. It is necessary. He is going on. And the word until in the original is a, is a neat word because it means continually until continually until so he's emphasizing as it were almost double emphasizing he is he is going to be ruling continually and he until continually he has finished what he's doing. he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished will be death. What do we say? Praise the Lord when death is finished. And it's all over. He says. For he shall. That is God shall put. All things in subjection. Under his feet. You notice the same quote from the Old Testament. That we saw in Hebrews 2. And, and it says. But when he says. All things. Are put in subjection. It is evident. That he that is God. Is an exception who put all things in subjection under him. In other words, God's the one who is in control. He put everything in subjection under Jesus Christ, and therefore, he is not the one to be subjected because he is the one that caused the subjection under Christ that's there. And so, he says, everything is subjected to Jesus Christ, And then he says. When this comes to pass. And I think that. Pastor Tony. In his prayer. Pastoral prayer this morning. Alluded to this. When all of this. World's problems are solved. By the coming of Christ. And it's come to pass. You see. Then. He will subject himself to the father. And be under the father's control. But. But he is still ruling he is still in control today do you believe that you know we we go around grumbling about what's happening we forget who's in control who's in control and i think it's important so we find the first command find fellowship with christ the second command we find in verses 2 to 4 what I call, fix your focus properly. Fix your focus properly. The command, it starts off with the command. It says, continue having a mindset on the higher place, not on things of the earth. Now, don't misinterpret what the apostle is saying here. Why does he want us to have our affection on the higher place? He's already told us, hasn't he? Because that's where Christ is sitting. That's where Christ is sitting. So we have our affections on the things of Christ. And he says, not on things of the earth. What is he saying there? What is he saying there? Is he saying, uh, don't worry about working and making a paycheck, just lay around and God's going to take care of you. No, 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 no. no. He says, don't let the whole world system control you. See, that's one of the dangers we have to deal with and face in our Christian life. Jesus prayed in that beautiful 17th chapter of John. He says in, in the 15th verse, he says, i don't pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil and what we have to do is make sure the evil philosophies by which this world operates don't control us and our minds and we to do that we have to have a mindset on things above we have to have a mindset on things above so, what should motivate us then? Well, he tells us here, first, because we've died. Because we've died. You see, he told us first that we're alive, now he says you died. You see, you get that from Romans 6, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6:11, he says, consider yourself to be dead indeed unto sin. That's the whole philosophies of the world. And alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this, this is the great thing we have, you see. We're, we're, we're dead and alive at the same time. And we live a dead and alive life. We're dead to the world and sin. We're alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the second thing he sa- says why that should motivate us is because of our union with Christ and therefore our union with God. If I am united with Christ, then I should be motivated to look towards heaven. Notice what it says there also, the life of yours has been and continues to be concealed with Christ in the sphere of god so we're 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 we 're all hidden together in christ a t robertson says that's that's the uh greatest combination that not even Satan can get into and break. Being hidden with Christ in God. And that should motivate us to focus on heaven and where our hope is. And then the third third motivation that's here is our future hope. Our future hope. It says, whensoever the Christ has been made manifest, at that time, you... Every believer, it's you, also shall be openly shown together with him. I don't know. I was, I got thinking about that this morning. I was telling Pastor Tony, I got so involved in thinking about that. I looked up and said, oops, I'm going to late for church. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, just stop and think about that. We are going to be shown together with him in all his glory I, I, I can't even imagine that kind of concept but it's one of the most wonderful things we are gonna, we are so bound together with Jesus Christ that someday we're going to be shown together with him in all his glory and we're going to have all his glory. That righteousness that we're moving to. Will be complete. When we shall see him. We shall become like him. For we shall see him as he is. Isn't that wonderful? The great the great hope that lies before us. And so. Uh, the question is then. How do I accomplish. This mindset. How do I accomplish this mind? How do I keep thinking. About things in heaven. And not worrying about. Hmm. I wonder if I got enough money in my savings account, and uh, I wonder if this car is going to keep going. Maybe I should get a new one. You know, uh, how, how do how do I have the right focus? You see, well, the answer is found in First John chapter five, in verses four and five. First John chapter four. 5, excuse me, in verse 4. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. It says, whatsoever or whatever is born of God, probably a better translation there, is whoever is born of God overcomes the world. So how do we overcome the world? He says, this is the victory that overcomes the world. Then he just says, it's our faith. It's our faith, what we believe. That's how we overcome the world, by what we believe. Now, let me remind you quickly here that what our faith is not something that we drum up and work, but it is a gift of God, not out of ourselves, lest anybody should boast. So it's, it's a divine gift that God has given to us when he brought us into the family of God. So he says, that faith that belongs to us now, that came from God, he says, that's what's going to give us victory over the world. And what is, what is the content of this faith that gives us the victory? If you read verse 5, he tells us, Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes, that is, this is what his faith and convictions are, is that Jesus is the Son of God. In other words, you can't have victory over the world unless you believe in the deity of Christ. It's impossible. It's impossible. And that's what John's saying. So, we have... The faith that was given to us. And it's the faith that we understand who Jesus Christ is. Why he did what he did. And what he did and how it affects us. And it all means something because we know who he is. You see. And so he says uh, 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 that's how we overcome the world. So have a mindset. Have a mindset on things above. Not on things of the world. Don't let the world and the world system control you. And then the third command I called flee former sins. Flee former sins. And actually th- in here uh, this is what it goes from verses 5 through 7. But I want you to notice how it starts. And I think this is important. Notice verse 5. We're back in Colossians now, chapter 3. It says, therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? It's pointing back to just what he said. Because we have died in Christ, because we have been raised together with Christ, because we are focused on heavenly things, therefore... Therefore, we can do this. And you see why those two commandments and obedience to those two first commandments are vital for the obedience to the rest of the commandments that follow. If we haven't got the first two down, you'll never get the rest down. See, all the 13 of them will just go into dust. Because it's all... Pointing back to the relational relationship, so and we went through all of these things. And uh, uh, if you look at verse six, it says, "Because the, for because of these things or because of these things, the wrath of God will come upon the sons of who? All the Christians, right? No." The sons of disobedience. We're we're sons of obedience and they're sons of disobedience. And, And the two are compared. So he says, all I'm telling you is what you were before. And you were disobedient and you didn't listen to God. You didn't care. And everybody who does that and continues to do that until they die. What's waiting for them? The wrath of God. The wrath of God. And notice he says... In verse 7. And in them you also once walked. When you were living in them. So. He tells us to flee the former sins. And then in the command. uh, In verse 8 is. Forsake the following. Forsake the following. And he gives us a list of things there in verse 8. He says. But. Now, and again, uh, to the contrary, right now, right now, you yourselves are to put off anger, wrath, and so on. And so, he says, you got to forsake these things. you gotta, you got to just leave them go. And then, he comes to what we'll be looking at in a little more detail, Lord willing, uh, this morning. And that's the fifth command. And you find that in verses 9 through 11. I've called this free yourself from a foul tongue. Free yourself from a foul tongue. You'll see why Uh, I uh, have this. Let me just read those verses again. Do not lie one to another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, wherein there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but... To the contrary, Christ is all and in all. Now we'll get to that in a minute. But that's that's an important statement that he wraps it up with. Now, if you look at the beginning of that verse where it says to, the command is do not lie to one another. I think uh, our automatic uh, um, connection to this is that we... He is just following on and carrying on what he has said in verses 5 through 8. But let me me point back to you, because the context here is important. He said all the things he says in verses 5 through 8 are things that are characteristics of the sons of disobedience. But... Notice who he's talking to in verse 9. And again, Pastor Tony mentioned it in his prayer this morning. The one another's. The one another's. How we relate to one another as believers. That's what he's talking about here. How we relate to one another as believers and i think it's important for us to understand that uh the the ninth commandment deals with our one another relationships and uh uh that is believers how we relate to believers one to another he says and our command is do not speak falsely or deceitfully or you could translate it uh do not have the habit of lying toward one another now Christians don't do that do they I won't answer that question I'll let you he says don't get into that habit now let me just state what he says here because there are three things he states instead of stating him negatively like he has I'll state him positively the first thing is speak truth speak truth the second thing is change your habits change your habits in other words regarding false communication change your habits and the third thing here is respect the unity of the body respect the unity of the body the one another's your re- relationship to one another respect the unity of the body so he he begins and he gives us the reasons why this is possible he gives us the reasons why this is possible and why it can happen in our lives as believers he first tells us about the transfer That is the transfer that has taken place. And he first talks about the transfer being a rejecting of the old. The rejecting of the old. Notice it says, having already stripped off, or you could translate that divested yourself of. And by the way, that strip off, is is a term that Paul uses often and it, it, it relates to taking dirty clothes off. So you stripped off your dirty clothes. You see? That's what he's saying. You stripped off your dirty clothes. And notice, I want you to notice, it's something that has happened already. It happened at salvation the dirty clothes were stripped off they were stripped off or as it as it really translated it, he stripped off the old ancient man of long ago <laughs> are you still still living in the old ancient man of long ago it's been stripped off you shouldn't be living there that's what he's saying and if you're, if you're acting in the wrong way towards each other in the body, then you're, you're taking on those old dirty clothes again. You see? And he said, but they've been stripped off. So stay away from them. And because they've stripped off, uh, uh, we can go ahead. And then he, he goes on and says, uh, the ancient man of long ago with the performance of his... Or his performance. And I want you to notice Paul emphasizes two things here that were cleaned up. First, our apparel, and then our actions. You see, when Christ cleaned us up, he didn't want us to go on just like we were going. So he cleaned up our actions. Notice it says, with the performance. With the performance. And so Christ expects us to act different than the world. The world talks about each other, hates each other, does evil towards each other. But we're different. We're different. That old apparel has been taken off. It's been thrown into garbage. It's been burned into fire. And it, it's done with. It's done with. Now, he's talking about... That who we were and what we did. And that was changed by God. And let me just remind you again. He says it already has happened. When you, if you're a believer here today, and you believe in Jesus Christ, the old garments have been stripped off. They have been stripped off. And they are gone. Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter five, in verse seventeen, he says, "Therefore, if any man be in Christ, and by the way this conditional clause here has the idea, if any man be in Christ, then what follows will be true of him. But if he isn't in Christ, then what follows won't be true of him. So he says, if any man be in Christ." He is a new creature or better creation. Old things, that is, the things you possessed in the past. By the way, that's the term that's used here is a very interesting term. It's the term from which we get our English word, archaic. The archaic things have been taken away. <laughs> the old things, you know, things that were of the past, the archaic things that you don't want to... Uh, uh, with you anymore and he says uh, 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 they have or they have passed away behold all things and, and the verb tense in the original has the idea of all things are becoming new you know God didn't kind of save us and then zap us and make us perfect down here I can guarantee you that just by living with myself. And uh, uh, I think we have to realize that the process is a process of sanctification that God is working in us. So he says, uh, we're, we're, uh, we reject all the old. We, we push it away. We forget it because it has been taken away in salvation. And then the second thing he talks, us, talks to us about in this transfer is what I call receiving the new. Receiving new. You got rid of the old. You got to get something new. And so he says, Also have put on. And I, I want you to see again that this is a completed action. It is something that is done. We have put on what? It says... The uh, recently come into existence man. Man that, in, that didn't exist in us before. You see, we, we didn't have it, we didn't know it, and we were given it. In Ephesians chapter 4, and by the way, this new man is really Christ and his righteousness. That's, that's what God has put upon us. Christ and his righteousness. In Ephesians chapter 4 verses 23 and 24 it says. Uh, be renewed. And by the way that verse. That word uh, be renewed. Has the implication that you better be involved in it. God, God's not going to zap you from heaven and make you. But you got to Work. That's why Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who's working in you both to give you the desire and the ability to accomplish his good pleasure. And so, so he says, uh, 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 be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And uh, again, that goes back to that second command. You see that? Have a mindset, have a mindset, have the right mindset and that you put on the new man, and again, it's a one-time action, and you could better translate, you have put on the new man, which after God, or which has been created after God, in in righteousness and true holiness. Where does righteousness and true holiness come for us that we've been created in? It's in Jesus Christ he is our righteousness we have his imputed righteousness we have his imputed holiness and it will ultimately come into fruition when we we see him and become like him you see and so this is vital and important so that's the transfer the transfer has been made. God made it for us. We didn't make it for ourselves. God did it. We didn't do it. He saved us. And we didn't have anything to do with it. It was the work of the Holy Spirit. that He came and touched us. Gave us a new heart. And a new mind. And a new way of thinking. And we became new people. Isn't that wonderful? I don't know about you. I, I've often in my Christian life tried to make myself better guess what it ain't working too good it just doesn't work so there's the transfer and then the next thing we hear is what see here is what I call the transforming and it's in the phrase toward a more intimate knowledge after the representation of the one that created him in other words There's an ongoing process that we are moving toward. Toward an intimate knowledge of Christ. And unless we are obeying those first two commandments, we can't be moving towards an intimate knowledge of Christ. If we're not focusing on him, if we're not living in him, if we're not walking in him, if we're not thinking in him, I'm not saying perfectly, but that should be the controlling factors in our life. You see, he says, there needs to be a more intimate knowledge after the representation of the one who created him. In other words, we become what we become because of the casting off of the old and the putting on of the new and it's all for the purpose of giving us an intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what God wants us to have. You know, I, 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 I'm always kind of baffled in my mind. You know, here's the Apostle Paul. He's getting near the end of his life, and he's done a great job. And what, what, is, what is the song of his heart? that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Whoa. Wouldn't you mean, Paul, you don't know him? You know what Paul's answer would be? Not like I like to, and not like I should. See, we have to get more of that intimate knowledge as we grow until we see him and become like him. So, if you look at Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 he begins with the word but there and he's talking and again it's to the contrary of those that he's been talking about who have a veil over their face and can't see the truth and can't understand the truth he said to the contrary we all you notice that the, those two words we all we is making it exclusive to the people of God and all is inclusive because it it means all the people of God. So it's something that's true about every person of God. We all with unveiled face, the uh, uh, veil has been lifted, beholding as in a mirror. And what is the mirror we are beholding it in? The word of God. This is this is our mirror, you see. And uh, uh, if you understand the old fashioned mirrors, uh, they were just a piece of polished metal, and they didn't really show a good image. And uh, uh, we we see the image of Christ in His Word, but we want to improve it, you see. And He says we see it, we see it in the Word. What do we see in the word? The glory of Christ. And are being transformed into that same image. That is uh, the image we are beholding in the word of God. From glory to glory. Just as by or better. Just as from the spirit of the Lord. You see how those two things work together in our lives as Christians. And we See the glory of Christ in the word, but it's revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. He is, he is the ultimate teacher that teaches us the things of Christ. And so that's where the transforming comes in. That's where God works. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, I'm glad <laughs> because uh, everything I do, I end up in a mess, you know. And what God does is done right. And uh, so it's great. So we have the transfer. The transforming. And then finally. What I call the tabooed. Tabooed. Things you shouldn't do. There's certain taboos in our Christian life. And we have to know them. First, First he talks about the repudiation here. He says, out of which there does not exist. In other words, we are repudiating the existence of everything that used to be. We say it doesn't exist anymore. It's not there and it doesn't exist because God changed it and he gave us a new life. So we refute the existence here and he really talks about two things uh, that we as believers as the church uh, and it was true in Christ uh, had to be repudiated. The first for the church to be the kind of church that God wants it to be we have to repudiate racial distinctions. We have to repudiate racial distinctions he talks about greeks those are people who were non-jewish believers and they were categorized as hellenists or greeks and if you notice if you notice in the book of acts that was one of the problems that the church dealt with right from the beginning How come we have deacons? Because there was a problem in the church. The Jews thought they were better than the Greeks. And therefore they didn't give them their portion. And uh, the Greeks complained. And and therefore they had to form a group of men. Who could serve both the Jews and the Greeks. Honestly and faithfully. And... Sometimes just stop and look at the character demands of those people. They had to be holy men who had great reputations. And, but the problem was there. And there was a great distinction. And, of course, we have to remember that the Jews in, in the early church, at least, at least for the first 15, 20 years, figured that Christianity was Jewish. And the Messiah was Jewish. And so everybody who wanted to believe had to become a Jew. That's that's what we call racial distinction. You see? And uh, uh, you remember Peter? In uh, Acts chapter 10 when the sheets came down? He says, oh, I'm a Jew. I don't do those kind of things. I've never done that kind of thing. And we have... We have the whole book of Galatians that deals with that problem. And if you look at Acts 15 and verse 1, it says, remember this is after all Paul's missionary journey, and he's come back and he spent time in Antioch and teaching the people and praising God. And it says in Acts 15, 1, they still had a problem. He still had a problem. It says. And certain men came down from Judea. And taught the brethren. Unless you are circumcised. According to the custom of Moses. You cannot be saved. In other words. You have to become a Jew. To become a Christian. Do you call that racial distinction? I would think so. I would think so. And and he says. uh, Just look at the whole book of uh, Galatians talks about that racial distinction so they had a real problem uh, and uh the it goes on he talks about barbarians which are is another a uh, 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 a word that could be translated foreigners they don't really belong you know they're out there uh and and nomads that's what the word scythian means Nomad nomadic tribes they call them Scythians, and i I kind of bracket that with what I call the loners in the church. Well, we don't need the church, you know really we we can do fine, we can read our Bible, we got the Holy Spirit, and He will teach us we don't have to meet with all these people, and now it's really getting popular because we can even live stream. You see, we don't have to go to church and meet with all these people. We're loners. You see, we, we, we do it ourselves. And he says, no, there's, there's no racial distinctions. There's no loners. There's no foreigners. There's no Jews. There's no Hellenists. There's no anything. And so he says, all racial distinctions do not exist in the church. They're finished. And if they exist, then there is a lack of unity. And if there's a lack of unity, we've got a problem. We've got a big problem. And then just quickly in in closing, he tells us that there are also no social distinctions. No social distinctions. He said, "There's there's no such thing as a slave. That's what a, a bond means. A slave person. There's no social distinctions. And the free means those that are unfettered can do their own thing. Everybody everybody in the church is on the same social platform. And uh, uh, if you don't think they have a problem with that in the early church, all you have to do is read the book of James. <laughs> He makes it very clear. What do you say? Well, when the rich man comes in, <coughs> let's find the best seat, you know. And, and when the poor guy comes in, sit on the floor there, okay? You know, um, and and that's what James is talking about. And if you look at the church, that kind of thing went on, and it, it was really predominant in the 16, 17, 18, and early 1900s, but especially before that. You remember what they used to do? The rich people used to buy the pew and put a gate on so nobody could sit in their seat. That's social distinction. <laughs> he said, that doesn't exist in the church. That doesn't exist. It's wiped out. And he gives us two reasons why. He gives us two reasons why. And quickly, I'll close with these two reasons. First, because of Christ's personal fullness. Christ's personal fullness. He says, Christ, the all. Everything. Christ is everything in the body of Christ. And therefore, distinctions of any kind cannot exist. They have to be wiped out. Because Christ is the center of everything. He is the fullness of the church. He is the center of everything. And then the uh, second thing he talks about here is Christ's personal presence. Christ's personal presence. He says he is in all. Let me ask you a question. Can I say I'm better than you are? Well, I can say it. I can say it. But if you have Christ in you, and I have Christ in me, how can I be better than you are? Because we all have the same deity dwelling within us. We have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and I can't be any better in the the body of Christ than you are. You see, Paul here is concerned about the unity of the body of Christ and it's vital and let me remind you and I'll close with this the Apostle Paul reminds us that there is an already unity of the Spirit and it's our job to maintain it And it's our job to maintain it And how do we maintain it? By understanding that all those distinctions don't exist anymore. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for the truth of your word. I pray that you will take what truth I communicated and use it for the building up of the body of Christ. And what was wrong, I pray you'll erase it. And uh, I pray that we may be rejoicing in the greatness of our God. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be together and worshiping our God and making a family of Bowmanville Baptist Church. We just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.